The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and it's a great privilege to be with you if you are new uh, this morning at Parkview. I'd love to meet you in the foyer, or if I don't get a chance to do that and you have any questions about Parkview, there's a connect counter off to the right, and there's a guy named Mike that's there this morning. He said, he asked me this morning, uh, what's the capital of Vermont? Because I guess somebody, you know, heard us say, you can ask Mike any question, and he'll answer it, but he didn't know that it was Mount Montpelier. So anyway, so maybe give Mike a hard time, but if you have a legitimate question too, just go and, and he'll help you out. So it's good. Um, man, it's been a big weekend here. Um, let's go positive first. We have a lot of West High uh, families involved in soccer, and for the girls to pull off, uh, the state championship like they did this week. Several girls from here each and were on the team. Yeah, round of applause for that. That's exciting. So uh, my daughters are friends with some of those girls, and that's a year-round commitment. And those guys have worked really hard, and so really excited for that. So obviously, too, um, our community was rocked Friday night when something like a shooting in Coral Ridge Mall happens. It, you know, again, it, that stuff never seems like it should happen here, right? And so... Um, I remember my girls, we started hearing about it just from text. One of my girl's friends was at the movies and said, hey, we're being evacuated because of a shooting and my daughter was supposed to be with her. And, and we, you, many of us probably have some kind of personal connection there. Um, Nick Mance, who's one of our youth pastors, was there walking into Target, heard the shots. I don't know if you've seen Nick, Nick and his wife Elise are you know, very tech savvy and so had a lot of tweets and they were actually... Um, used by different media outlets for information. I don't know if you saw Nick being interviewed and on KCRG, I think it was. So, um, and actually the girl lost her life. Um, there's a good friend of ours that worked with her and this friend of ours has had many hard things in her life and doesn't know Jesus yet. So you, I mean, so many of these things, you just, you go, God, what's going on? And, and so I just, I wanna pray. I just wanna start this morning by praying for this situation and, and um, why don't you join, join with me. You know, Lord, we, um, uh, we were rocked Friday night when we heard what happened here in a place where many of us just go regularly and just kind of walk right by that place and to hear of a murder happening there. God, our hearts just break right now for Andrea Farrington's family. I can't imagine, God, the, the pain of losing a daughter and um, sister, good friend to so many people. Um, just pray for her family, God. Pray that you would comfort them and her friends and even as they're gathering for memorial service right now. I don't know if those people know you or not, but I just pray you would use this tragedy to open their eyes, to see you as a father of all comforts, that you are a compassionate God, that you would meet their needs, they would see you and experience you. You draw near to broken hearts. So pray for Andrea's family. God, I pray for the shooter. I pray for Alexander, God that um, clearly at a low, low point in his life, pray for his wife, Kelly. God, I just pray in these very, very dark days in their lives that somebody would have the opportunity to point them to you, to share the gospel with them, that they would learn about you, God, that they would turn to you for hope in, in this time. I pray for our community. It seems like there, there's a, there's, this is the next thing, and there have been so many things hitting us and rocking us and causing us to question uh, brevity of life and uncertainty of life. And I pray that, that again, you would show yourself as, as the God of all comforts, as the rock and refuge that you are, that you would again remind this community that we have no hope 
apart from Jesus Christ. And so give your people courage and compassion as we just reach out to our community in a fresh way in these days. So I'm going to ask you now to pray that you would listen to God this morning. We're going to study the word together. Ask that God would speak to you. Just do that for the next little bit here. Ask God to speak to you through his word. And if you could pray for me, that God would speak through me, that, that God would show his power through me, I, I can't do this on my own. So pray for me to deliver his word clearly and passionately. God, I thank you that you heard every prayer, and we are excited to hear from you. We need to hear from you, so speak clearly from your word today, please. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so what we're doing this summer, we're in this series called Portraits of Faith, and we're looking at New Testament characters that God used when God was writing his story of the life of Jesus and the gospel expanding. Who were some of the key players that you can read about in the pages of the New Testament? Last week, we looked at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Today, we're looking at Joseph. Wasn't sure what to call him, so you see on the title, he's the man that married Jesus' mom. Okay, so uh, because even the Bible in Matthew 1.16 makes it clear Joseph wasn't Jesus' dad in a biological DNA kind of sense um, as far as uh, you could call him Jesus' stepdad. As you read the story, um, God is the father of Jesus, that, that Mary had a miraculous birth, a virgin birth, we're going to talk about later. One of the key components of the Christian faith is that Jesus is fully God and fully man. So here's Joseph, and can you imagine the challenge of raising a son that happens to be Jesus? You know, how many times did he hear, like, wow, Jesus is amazing at that. He clearly didn't get that from you. You know, like, and so, yeah, of course, of course not. Like, that had to be the story of Joseph all the way through, um, being humbled like that. It had to be kind of awkward to ask Jesus to do his chores. Um, probably was tempting if the budget was tight to say, hey, Jesus, you know, what about some loaves and fish here? Can you help us? help us out. So just, you know, but what we know about Joseph actually isn't a whole lot. Um, He's not mentioned after Luke chapter 2 or after Matthew chapter 2. And the last time we hear about him in the life of Jesus is Jesus is 12. And Jesus starts his earthly ministry when he's about 30. So most people think that somewhere in that 18-year span that Joseph actually died. And so, again, not a lot about him, but what we do know about him um, is pretty profound. And And I think he's definitely a character, again, like we talked about Mary last week, not to worship Mary, not to worship Joseph, but to look at the things in his life that when God was scanning the planet for a couple to raise Jesus, fully God, fully man, he picked Joseph to be that man, that role model for Jesus to show what what does a man look like. And so there's definitely some things we can learn from this guy's life. So we're going to look at his story. What's Joseph's story? Uh, We're going to look at his character. And we're going to look at his Savior. And so, like we said last week, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Second Chronicles 16.9. It says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth so that he can strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. And so when God was surveying the earth back in that day, who could he entrust to raise Jesus? I think those same eyes from our same God looks throughout this room this morning. Like, who is it that he can use? as he's continuing to write his story about the life of Jesus and what Jesus wants to do in Iowa City and Coralville and all around the world through us. And so this isn't just a history lesson. God, could I be 
one of those people that you could use as you write your story. So Matthew 1.18 is where we're going to start this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, the verses will be on the screen, or you have an outline in your bulletin. The verses are there too, so you pretty much are covered. You can read this along with me. So Matthew 1.18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. We'll just read a little bit and talk a little bit. So um, Mary and Joseph are in this period called betrothal. We talked about this last week. It's a little different than our engagement. A betrothal would have been a legally binding agreement between two families that a man and woman were going to get married. Usually it lasted for a year. And so Mary and Joseph are in that kind of contractual relationship committed to each other, uh, preparing to be married. And in that time period, then Mary is found to be pregnant. And as we saw last week, it was by the Holy Spirit. So now verse 19, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man, was unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. And so you can put yourself in Joseph's shoes. What's hard is we know the story and we know what happens next. But if you were in the moment with Joseph, this would be incredibly difficult. You, he loved Mary. He was so excited about getting married and so many things he would have known about her character and her reputation. And so on one hand, you're just crushed when you hear this news that she's pregnant and you know it wasn't you that got her pregnant. And so there's turmoil there. And and he's a righteous man is the way he's described. And so he's not one that's going to go, oh, well, no big deal. Let's just step into a marriage that God might not be pleased with. He wants to make sure he's pleasing to God when he's stepping into a marriage. On the other hand, because he's a righteous man, he doesn't want to publicly humiliate or shame Mary. He's really just torn here. And so we don't know how long this period went for him. Was it a week? Uh, were there many sleepless nights? But if you put yourself in Joseph's sandals, these would have been brutally difficult days to figure out. What do you do? What's the right thing to do here before God and the right thing for Mary, this woman that you so deeply love? And so in verse 20, it says that as he was contemplating, he was considering these things um, about whether he should divorce her or not, that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So there's, there's a lot in this statement there. So Joseph is dreaming, and maybe it was one of those sleepless nights. He finally gets to sleep, and then boom, the angel has this powerful message to him. A couple key things to pull out of this message. One is that he reminds Joseph that he is a son of David. He's in the lineage of David. And why that's so important is, we, we didn't read this, but if you were to read the first verses of the Gospel of Matthew, it starts with a genealogy. It starts with Abraham and traces through David all the way down to Jesus. Matthew wrote his Gospel to Jewish Christians. And what Matthew is showing is that all the things that were spoken in the Old Testament have been fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And the way he starts to prove that is Jesus is a descendant of David. He's in the lineage of David. And so even as the angel speaks to Joseph, he reminds Joseph of his lineage. You are a descendant of David. And then he rolls out this message about a savior coming. And Joseph being a righteous man would have known 
about the promises to David, that God promised David that there would be a king, a descendant of his, that would be on the, king for, uh, on the throne forever, be an eternal king. And so, you know, Joseph, is start, as he's trying to put some truths together, the angel is reminding him, you are a descendant of David. And then he teaches him, hey, Mary is pregnant, but that is because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who enabled her, empowered her to be uh, pregnant. And so, and this one coming will be the savior of the world. Again, Joseph would have been like everybody else, eagerly excited for the Messiah to come and rescue God's people. In verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and that was the prophet Isaiah, that behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Again, just coming with truth, angel to Joseph, like this is what God promised. This is what God planned. And Joseph, you are that man. You are a descendant of David. And now God has chosen you to be part of this amazing story. Verse 24 tells us that Joseph woke up from his sleep. Now, I don't know, what are you like when you wake up from a dream? Like a lot of, it, it clearly depends on what kind of dream it was, right? If you're having an amazing dream and you wake up, don't you like go, oh, like you want to get back to sleep so you can keep going in that dream and keep seeing how awesome it's going to be. Or if you have one that just is so weird or so bad and you wake up and sometimes you can be deep in sleep and you wake up and you go, I hope that wasn't real, you know? And so you wonder how Joseph woke up with this news and I, What was he going to do? This, you know, again, did I really, how many times do you hear from an angel in a dream, right? So he's trying to figure all this out. Was that real? Is this really from God? And we see Joseph's character showing up here in verse 24. It says that when he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took his wife, but he knew her not. That means they did not have sex until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. So uh, Joseph's story is, is an amazing one. He's a small town carpenter. He's preparing for marriage. He's just doing his thing. He's a righteous guy. Again, all the religious leaders of that day, all the political leaders of that day wouldn't even have known Joseph. They'd walk by Joseph and he'd be just a carpenter, okay? But God's eyes saw Joseph and God brought Joseph into this amazing story. He's a man with a heritage and a destiny. He's a descendant of David. He's one that's been promised many things from God, from God's past, and God's got a plan for him. God's got a destiny for Matthew's life. And Matthew was a man who courageously followed God's plan. It was interesting the way that Gabriel worded that, the angel worded that, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The way that's phrased, you make, it makes you wonder, like, deep down, Joseph was saying, and trusted Mary so much, loved her so much, I would just love to just take her as my wife, but no, I just, I, maybe I shouldn't, and I don't want to disobey God, and so there it is, like, hey, don't be afraid, take her, take her as your wife, that, that, that was something he was already hoping to hear, and excited to hear, but he, it took courage to step into that situation, and realizing what that could mean to his reputation moving forward, stepping in uh, to marriage um, with a woman who's already pregnant, and so, you know what was powerful, it was last Sunday, I was just telling somebody, we have some amazing stories that just walk through our foyer every week. You, you guys are part of that, just what God is doing in your life. Um, I met a guy last week. He's a professor of chemistry at Texas El Paso. And the way Parkview got connected with him and his wife was, he's from China. His wife is from Taiwan. 
um, was through these friendship with international students. A family from Parkview became friends with his wife. And so here's the story. His wife was here in grad school. When she graduated, she went to El Paso for a year. Uh, she met this man. They struck up a relationship, uh, and they were talking about marriage, but in their culture, they would have to introduce each other to the family, and so that hadn't happened yet. She ended up going to the University of Ohio in Athens, so now they're continuing a long-distance relationship, and then she comes down with cancer. This is, and I met this man in the foyer last week, and so last spring break, he kind of shot through the tradition, the cultural tradition of meeting the families, and he flew up to Athens, Ohio, and he married her. And he said, I did not want her to walk through the treatment of cancer alone. I wanted, I wanted to be with her. I love her, and I want to walk through those days with her. I saw a picture of their wedding. It was at a courthouse. He had a big old cowboy hat on, just to kind of show he was from Texas. But I was just floored to meet, in many ways, a similar scenario as Joseph's, willing to commit to a woman who you're not so sure how this is going to go for you personally, but just the courage and the love and the commitment that that man showed. So um, I just wonder, again, I said, oh, so many stories even in this room, and I wonder what your, your, your story is this morning. Like what, as God is looking at your life and what God has in store for your life, I just wonder what is it that God is writing in your life or in the life of your family? I love Psalm 78, verses 70 and 71. This talks about how God chose David to be the king of his people. Look what it says. He chose David his servant, and he took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people in Israel, his inheritance. I love that. When God was looking for a king, he didn't look in palaces. He didn't look in all the places of academic education. He didn't look at all the big businessmen. He caught a guy watching sheep. The eyes of the Lord are ranging throughout this room, and he's looking for people that he can do amazing things through as he's writing his story. God loves and God notices people that he can use. And so that's encouraging. That's, that's exciting that God can use us. I had the privilege yesterday at being at Kinsey Manufacturing's 50, 50th anniversary. And some of you know John and Marsha. They, they attend Parkview. They're uh, regular attenders here. Um, and th to hear John's story, if you don't know the story. Kinsey's the big place you drive by as you're going to Des Moines that has implements hanging and arranged in different ways. He's a very creative innovator. His motto is, he's a disruptive, disrupt, I'm sorry, disruptive innovator. Love that phrase. So he's a disruptive in innovator. And so his business started like 50 years ago in a 1,400 square foot building in Ladora, Iowa. And today he has 30 acres under roof undercover and he has a 35% market share in the in the planters corn soybean planters in our country so to see again a man who loves god a man who's run his company on biblical principles in fact i ran into one of the people last week there as we were walking out and who works there i said what's it like to work here he goes you wouldn't believe the culture here is the best place i've ever worked and he said it's amazing to have a boss they were in the break room the other day, and somebody was asking about a good church in the area. And he said, of course, he talked about Parkview at first. But then he said, but you know what? Let me show you something. And John sat down, pulled out a piece of paper, and just walked him through the plan of salvation, walked him through how you could meet Jesus. And this worker's going like, where are you going to find that? Like, where are you going to find that culture to work in? So, but again, a story of God taking a very humble beginning and, and writing an amazing story because John... And Marcia and their family have blessed many people 
around the world. I think of a guy on our staff team uh, that a lot of you guys know named Doug Fern. Doug is running point at Faith Academy and with the spot, our ministry on the southeast side of Iowa City that's reaching out to a lot of underserved, under uh, at-risk kids in that part of town. Um, when Doug was in college, came here as an undergrad, um, this is where his relationship with Jesus really took off through the ministry of 24-7. I got to meet Doug as he volunteered to be a high school leader. We struck up a relationship. And then one summer, we had a, like this, like in a couple weeks, we have a team going to Ukraine. We were doing Ukraine trips back then, and we had three teams going. One was going for the whole summer, two months, and Doug was leading that team, five people, college students, uh, going for the whole summer in Ukraine. Then a team was going over for a month, and then I was going over with the team going for like two weeks, something like that. So, and I had heard it had been really tough. Like the, the five that went over there first for two months faced all kinds of adversity, some internal, some external, all kinds of stuff going on. Story after story, I was hearing about him. So I was so eager when I got over there, you know, we got our team settled, we were in the place, we were both exhausted, but we stayed up till late in the night. It's like, okay, Doug, tell me, how's it been going? And it was like, disaster, failure, like hardship, difficulty. And I'm like, oh no, because I just saw so much potential here. Like, man, God can really use this guy. I bet he could be a great leader. This will be a great two months for him. But it was like tough, tough, bad, bad, bad. And so we get to the end of it. And I almost hesitated to ask the question as I assumed it, I assumed I knew the answer. And I say, so Doug, what do you think about leading in ministry? I'm going to forget this. He said, I love it. <laughs> I said, wait, what? He said, I love it. You know, and to see a guy that could withstand the things that he went through, you could see God preparing a guy to really launch what we're doing on the southeast side has taken many years of patience and difficulty and challenge, but God was raising up a leader. And again, I just ask, what is, what is your story? Um, my, my dad is watching live stream. They do faithfully uh, from over in Des Moines. Uh, this week coming up, he has a birthday, Father's Day, and an anniversary all around the same time. And so I'm writing three different cards, usually this time of year. So I'm really especially reflective of my dad. But there's a man in his 70s that God continues to write chapters in his life. I just throw that out for wherever we are this morning, however young, however old, God is not done. And God's going to just continue to write chapters as we are available to him like Joseph was. And so I'm just going to ask you this morning, what is, what's your story? And I just, one other one, I just have to say, Ali Trelor is here. Where are the Trelors? Just kind of give me a little heads up. Help me out. Isn't she? <laughs> what? Help me out. Does anybody see them? Oh, too humble. They're not going to. So Allie is the gal that's been in Haiti working with orphans. Um, Roger and Susie led a team over there earlier this year. Again, just another story. You need, if you've not met Allie, if you've not heard that story, you need to about how God kind of flipped a script in her life and is using her. We were talking before this service. I asked her, what's the rhythm of life like caring for orphans in a very difficult area in Haiti? Listen to this. She said her goal is at the end of the day, to be completely exhausted because I've been serving God, but to wake up in the morning really excited to do it again. <laughs> what, a, what a great way to invest our lives. And um, Joseph had to have days and periods of his life that were like that. And so what's your story? God's got a story for us. Joseph had a story. But here's the next point we need to see from Joseph's life is that as God's eyes are roaming throughout this place, He's looking for hearts that are fully committed to him. 
Joseph was a man of character. And so if I could finish those verses I read about David in Psalm 78, remember it says that God chose David to be his shepherd. He took him from the sheep pens. But then it says this in verse 72, with an upright heart, God shepherded them, and, and, or David shepherded them, and he guided them with skillful hands. David had a heart of integrity. And that's what we're going to see in Joseph too. Joseph had character, he had integrity, he had compassion, and he was a man who obeyed God. And so you look at his integrity. Um, I heard this definition a long time ago. It's my favorite definition of integrity, that integrity is doing what is right when nobody else is looking or doing what is right when everybody else is compromising. So doing what's right, nobody's looking, doing what's right when everybody else is doing the wrong thing. Joseph was that kind of man who uh, lived a life of integrity. Proverbs 10.9 says, whoever walks in his integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. We've already seen many instances. Uh, Joseph was a righteous man the way he treated Mary. Joseph was a righteous man in contemplating, should I step into this marriage or not? Um, Joseph was a righteous man in the way that he lived um, with sexual purity. He kept Mary a virgin while they were betrothed. And even after they were married, until she had Jesus, he abstained sexually. And so what's interesting is when you look throughout the Bible, when you look throughout the history of the Christian church, one clear sign of people who follow God is that they follow a whole different pattern of sexuality than the world around them. Okay, And so Joseph was a man of sexual integrity as well. Christians have been known um, to carry a new sexual ethic. One of the sayings about the early church, when the church started growing back right after the time of Christ, was this, is that they have a common table, but they don't have a common bed. So they'll share their food, they'll share their, their resources with anybody, but they will not share their sexuality. That when you look at how the Christian ethic of sex spreads, there is a deep respect for the opposite sex. There is an honor. There is a dignity. There's not abuse. There's not misuse. And there's not selfishness in the pursuit. Um, God created sex. God thinks sex is awesome. But the way uh, sex is conducted by believers is radically different. And so we see that in the life of Joseph. Interesting, one of our pastors, Steve, sent me this this week. Um, it was a study on the Gospel Coalition's website written by a guy named Garrett Kell, and it was entitled The Pattern of a Fall. Pattern of a Fall. And this was really sad. They found in a two-year period there were 246 Christian leaders who fell into an adulterous relationship. And so they did, they did a study on all 246 of these men who fell into an adulterous relationship. And these were the common ingredients that they saw in each of these cases. One is, none of these men were in, a, were in an accountability relationship. So none of them had a relationship with a friend that they were sharing their struggles and asking for prayer so that they would obey God. None of them had an accountability relationship. All of them had stopped having a quiet time or a time where they're reading God's word, praying to God, privately worshiping God. None of, they had all bailed on their devotional life with God. And without exception, all of them were convinced that this could never happen to them. I had a guy a couple weeks ago just fully disclose what was going on in his life. And he said that same thing. He just said, I never thought I would be that guy. 
And so Kel's conclusion from this study, I completely agree with him. And again, if sexual purity isn't your challenge to your integrity this morning, I think these principles apply to any battle we struggle in our desire to be people of integrity. But these are four conclusions. Number one is that sin thrives in isolation. Sin thrives in isolation. So if we're not being open and real about our sin, man, sin's in a great place to continue to grow in our lives. Um, If you flirt with sin, you will fall into sin. Sometimes we think we can just play around with this, I won't get hurt. That's not true. You flirt with it, you'll fall into it. That pride blinds us to our weakness and that purity is cultivated by loving Jesus. We talked about this a couple weeks ago that I think the best incentive for purity is to see how awesome Jesus is, how good Jesus is. In fact, Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. We talked about that a couple weeks ago about an incentive for obedience. And I had a graduate student write me the next week and say how helpful that was. Instead of just trying to say no to the sin and avoid the sin, why not run? Why not take my energy and run towards Jesus and what he's offering me? So Joseph was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. Um, The other thing we see of Joseph is that he was a man of compassion. He didn't want to publicly shame Mary. He was very compassionate. In fact, some of the readings I did about Joseph said even the fact that they traveled to Bethlehem together you know, when, when Mary was very pregnant, was a sign that he didn't want to just leave her in Nazareth. He technically could have gone and registered for them, but he wanted to be with her in case she had the baby. So he was a man of compassion, uh, and he was a man who obeyed. He obeyed God, and we saw that. He obeyed him right away. And what's interesting, we said this last week, when God is writing a story, or if God's going to use you in his story, he's not looking for a co-author He's not looking for a co-editor. He's not looking for you and me to say, God, I've got a better idea. Like, I know this is your plan. I've got a better one. Or what about this? Or what if everybody else does that, God, but I'll do this? Like, that doesn't flow well with God's story. In fact, what you see 10 times in the book of Matthew is something will happen, and then there'll be this statement, and this was just as was predicted by the prophets. And so some of these are about Joseph in in his situation, Matthew one twenty two, it said, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Again, talking about the virgin birth. If you go to Matthew chapter 2, there was another dream where God said to Matthew, I want you, to Joseph, I want you to move Mary and Jesus to Egypt. I want you to get out uh, so that Jesus won't be killed by King Herod. And so in Matthew one or 2.15, it says, that this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that, that, that Jesus would travel to Egypt. And so it's like when God is writing a story, he's already, he already has the script. He knows where this is going. And so he's inviting us to obey him. And obedience is the best way that we show God surrender. A huge storm comes and Jesus just stands up and he commands wind and waves to stop and they obey him instantly. The, the text even says they obeyed him. And so all of creation obeys God. God's used to being obeyed. And out of all of his creation, we're the only ones that buck against that. We need to be men and women of obedience if God's going to use us in his story. And so, you know, I I want to end with this. We could look at a guy like Joseph. We can look at his character and we can just immediately throw up the white flag and go, well, there's no way. Like, I I can't do that. I can't be a, a man of integrity I just battle. I can't, I'm not very compassionate. And 
uh, I don't like to obey. You know, so, so what do I do there? And actually, I think Joseph, like we said last week about Mary, Mary would not say, don't, don't worship me, don't worship me, worship my son, worship Jesus. Joseph would say the same thing. Don't, you know, if you're seeing things in me, this is because this is what God has produced in my life. Look at my son. So what we need to do this morning to, be, to become the men and women that God can use is we've got to look at the cross. Jesus came to rescue us from our sins. And that's the whole thing about this whole virgin birth concept, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Larry King was a guy who used to do a lot of interviews on CNN. He did over 30,000 interviews in his career, political leaders, celebrities. They asked him, if you could interview one person that's ever walked on this planet, and as far as I know, Larry King isn't a follower of Jesus. They asked him, who would you interview? And he said, Jesus Christ. Because I would ask him one question, are you virgin born? Because if he is, that changes everything about this life. He, that's a very good piece of theology right there because Jesus is fully God and fully man. And as that, he is uniquely qualified to be our savior. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we can become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the perfect substitute. So here we are as sinful men and women wanting to know God, wanting to be a part of God's story. And God, out of his love, has written into this amazing story that his son would come and live and die for us and offer us forgiveness of sins and eternal life and a power to change our lives. And so if that's new to you this morning, the way you begin a relationship with God isn't by coming to church or isn't by trying harder, like, oh, I'm going to try, you know, to be more, have more integrity, try to be more compassionate. You, you can't. That's why Jesus had to come. There is no human way to rescue ourselves from our sins. We needed a Savior, virgin-born, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. Put your faith in Him and what He did for you on the cross and your sins are taken away. The, the penalty of your sin is removed, so now you can have a relationship with God. That's awesome. And then what happens is with Jesus as your Savior, the rest of the days of your life, He gives you a power to defeat sin in your life so that the things you used to struggle with won't be struggles anymore. He can help you. 1 Corinthians 1.18 talks about the power of the gospel by which we are being saved. There's an ongoing aspect of the gospel that the more you keep coming back to Jesus with your sin and with your weakness, the more and more he gives you power to overcome that and to become men and women that God can use and can write into his story. So I want to close with you having a chance uh, to pray right now to Jesus, this, this one we just talked about who came fully God, fully man, to rescue you from sin. And so um, just talk to him this morning. It could either be for that first part of just saying, Jesus, I need you to forgive me of my sins and to give me eternal life so that I can have a relationship with you. And so maybe that's your prayer this morning. And if this is the first time you've ever done that, please tell your friend that brought you or, or tell me. I would love to hear that. Um, but if you've done that before, I just want to give you a chance this morning even to say, Man, when I look at my life, and I don't see much integrity or I don't see compassion. The place to take that is the cross. Ask Jesus to forgive what you've been doing and asking him for power to, to be that man or that, mo that woman of integrity and of compassion and of obedience. So you pray and then I'll close this.
Jesus, it seems like a theme you've been teaching me over and over again the last several months is that we have no idea what we're stepping into this week. You are doing amazing things all around us. And you've been challenging me to be ready. You just never know who's going to cross our paths tomorrow, what the situation's going to be, how God can use us tomorrow. And Lord, I want to be ready. And I thank you so much for the power of the cross that through the gospel we can be forgiven we can know you. We can walk into this week if it's going to be a hard week or an amazing week. We can just walk knowing that you're with us and there's peace and there's power that comes from that. And then we want to be men and women that are ready to be used, ready to step out and help, ready to extend compassion, ready to extend the gospel to people around us who desperately need to know you. So God, please unleash your church and do awesome things through your people as you continue to write your story. In your great name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.